Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Our text today is going to be from Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. It's a long text. You can blame Pastor Derek for that. Um, Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. He gets to plan most of the sermon series, so we get to blame him when it's a long text. But I'm actually really excited about this text today. And so if you'll bear with me as we read this, I'm looking forward to our time together. So, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or cruel joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Now, my friends, as we look at this second half of Ephesians, Pastor Derek did such a masterful job last week, um, we're looking at now what is the practical outworking of the gospel in our lives. So we cannot read Ephesians 4 through 6, divorced from Ephesians 1 through 3, which talk all about the work of Christ on our behalf, him saving us and making us alive again again with Christ. And then we move on to now the practical implications of this on what this then looks like. What are the implications of this? So we can't just read this as a list of rules, but I will say this is a big question in our culture today. Is Christianity just a list of do's and don'ts? And it seems like, you know, the old phrase growing up, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls that do, still seems to apply in some elements of our culture, and especially the narrative of our culture that seeks to understand Christianity, will frequently say, um, well, it's just a list of rules. It's just taking all the fun away from life. And, and really, I think it's important, and I think even today as we read these 20 verses with these kind of a list of moral rules and codes and what to do and what not to do and stay away from immorality and stay away from coarse jesting and um, be thankful and and walk in wisdom and don't be foolish and don't be drunk. You know, we have all these kind of, uh, it literally could be perceived as a list of rules. So the question that we do have to wrestle with this morning is, is Christianity just a list of do's 
and don'ts. And, and what we see in the story of God is that we were created in the Garden of Eden for holiness. We were created to live in perfection. We were actually created to reflect the holiness of God back to him and to each other. And at times, as we read the Bible, we, of course, now don't naturally reflect holiness or else there'd be no reason for this passage or even the sermon. But it seems like as we look at the Bible, it can seem like on, on first blush, a list of unfair rules. Um, it's the it's it's the Samoa cookies on the counter. Don't eat the Samoas placed right in front of you. And, and just just maybe a few examples of this, you know, this idea of success, right? Like, like, why shouldn't we be consumed with work to make us successful? The more you put in, the more you get out as as you put in your job, right? Let's work 60, 70 hours a week. We've been created with this beautiful, good and true thing to be successful, to have drive. But then we're also told by the Bible to rest and not make work the center. So it seems like we have a drive to be successful, but then we're also told don't do that, right? Um, as it relates to sex, which we're going to be talking about. Our text is leading us there today. We have the desire for sex. and We have the desire for intimacy. So why not indulge those desires? Why is, there, why is it so limited? Why are there so many rules around it? Why does Paul talk about it? Why does he even bring it up in our text today? Again, it seems like we've been created with something. We got the Samoan cookies on the counter, but don't eat them. And then finally, maybe just one, one more example is this idea of relationships, right? Like, like we've been given deep, ingrained desires for intimacy and relationship with another person. But then we're told not to make these relationships the center of our lives. Then we're told that there's certain intimate types of relationships that are restricted for the Christian and for the follower of Jesus, that that monogamy and a man and a woman coming together in marriage is the appropriate uh, biblical marriage and biblical unity and and it just seems like, wait a minute, okay, you've created us with these desires, but then you're telling us that there's all these rules surrounding it. It seems like, again, the cookies are on the counter, but God's saying no. And that's what we're going to be addressing today. It's going to be part of what we're addressing. And, and really what this whole section, the second half of Ephesians is talking about, is in uh, really flowing from Ephesians 4 verse 1, right? It has this idea of walk, which is going to actually be something that appears again in our test text today. And then we're going to see that that's going to be kind of guiding us on how we think about Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. But in Ephesians 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's kind of the thesis sentence or the topic sentence for the whole second half of Ephesians. It's saying, walk in a manner worthy, and then to which you've been called, the gospel. And then it goes through and through and through, time and time again, giving example after example after example of ways and reasons and and mechanisms and and the how-tos on how to walk worthy. So he repeats that phrase again in 5.2, and we see walk is seen three times in our text. But in 5 verse 1, what we read a minute ago, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So this idea of imitating God is actually quite unique in the New Testament. It's the the Greek word, which is also translated mimic, to mimic or to emulate, right? And and actually, this idea of of imitate God in the way that this is used is is actually exclusively here. There's no other place that this specific phrase is said in the entire Bible. You see, 
in, in the Old Testament, we're called to follow God, right? And follow his laws and commandments. And, and in the New Testament, we're to, be, we're, we're to be holy. We're to emulate characteristics of God, right? Like we forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. We're holy as Christ is holy. But only here we're called to imitate or mimic God as a whole. It's like a blanket statement. And then right after that, we have these pesky lists, which Derek, Pastor Derek did such a masterful job last week with his set of lists, and now we got another set of lists here. Uh, and, we, and I really do want us to wrestle with this question, is Christianity just a list of do's and don'ts? So my goal for our time today will be to walk us through from the standards to the heart. So there's standards that are at place that we have to understand, but then we also have to get to the heart underneath the standards. So three points for today, um, uncompromising standards, measurable power, and inexpressible joy uncompromising standards, immeasurable power, and inexpressible joy. So um, the, un- the first point will be probably a little bit longer because that's going to actually go through all 20 of these verses to look at the standards. And we're going to look and see how we have this, this, this incredible power that God gives us, and it's all motivated towards obedience and the gospel through joy in Jesus and our relationship and walking with God. So, so uncompromising standards, this idea of walk comes up. As I mentioned, it was in chapter one, is in chapter four, verse one, that we're to walk in a manner worthy. That, that literally means to embrace a holistic lifestyle of obedience and holiness and living out what we say we actually believe. In verse 18 of chapter four, um, which Pastor Derek talked about last week, it says, don't walk in darkness, don't walk in the futility of your mind. So it's, it's rejecting the mindset of the world around us that is dark. And then, and then, but we see this word come back up again three different times in Ephesians 5. And this is kind of how I've ordered us to break down Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, and this idea of uncompromising standards. And there's three different ways that he's telling us to walk. We're to walk in love, light, and wisdom. We're to walk in love, we're to walk in light, and we're to walk in wisdom. So let's break down this 20 verses here, um, kind of underneath these three headings of walking in love, light, and wisdom. So first off is walking in love. That's verses two to seven, if you're taking notes. Um, this is compelling us, inviting us to live a life of self-sacrificing love. That's the idea. And so I'm just going to read verses um, two to seven uh, again for us. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So in this text, we see a contrast here, right? Um, We see this invitation, walk in love, right? And, and really, it's an invitation towards a self-sacrificing love. And Paul is comparing that towards self-indulgent idolatry. So it's self-sacrificing love versus self-indulgent idolatry. And he's telling us to reject two things and embrace a third. He's telling us to reject immorality. He's telling us to reject vulgarity. 
and he's telling us to embrace Thanksgiving. So let's kind of look into what he's kind of getting at here. Um, rejecting immorality. So he addresses sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, which are kind of all in the same language, um, specifically referring to sexual deviancy from God's design and plan. And really what he's saying is, is that, and comparing this to self-sacrificing love, is that that immorality is, is actually looking to serve ourselves. It's seeking, and this is kind of underneath this, it's seeking to use another person as ours and to, to possess another person as ours without acknowledging that they are first gods. And to be quite honest, that's why the word covetousness or greed is often used with sexual deviancy, with immorality, because it's really a greediness. It's saying, I want something for myself, and it's not truly thinking and caring for the other person. You see, what this, this idea of immorality, this idolatry, puts our sexual desires at the seat of our hearts and says, this is how I'm going to engage with my world around me is I'm going to seek and pursue my sexual desires um, to the cost of, of other things around me. And, and really what we see is that any sexual activity outside of a man and woman in marriage is the opposite of loving the other person, loving God or even loving yourself. It actually looks at the other person and says, I want to have the benefit of union with you without the life altering, life-changing, self-sacrificing covenant of marriage. Well, I will fully give myself to you for the rest of my life. See, that's, that's, that's immorality. And, and he's compelling us to reject that. He's saying, walk in love. And so reject this anti-love action of any sexual activity outside of a covenant man and woman in marriage, right? But then he goes even further. He doesn't just say reject immorality, but he's rejecting vulgarity. That's the word I kind of use to summarize filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking. And those are specifically around sexual things, right? And, and all of these words do refer to vulgar talk. And really, I think deeper underneath of this is going back to this idea of selfishness, self-indulgence, right? The, the immorality piece self-indulges our sexual desires, but but this is actually self-indulgent of sexual expression. So when there's an opportunity for a crude joke, when there's an opportunity to maybe even potentially make someone uncomfortable so that you feel good about yourself, or an opportunity to say something that would make you seem uh, quick-witted or um, impressing others around you with, with how you can twist a phrase to make it sexual in nature, um, this is actually idolatry. Again, it's saying immediate self, sexual self-expression is actually more important. That's at the seat of my heart. And that actually is more important than truly loving and caring for maybe how my, I'm considering how my actions might affect someone else. This is, this is, so he's in compelling us to reject vulgarity, to reject this idea of self-expression is the best thing for me. It's the seat of my heart. It's the seat of my life. And, and then he then tells us to embrace Thanksgiving, which might seem a little bit off when you're here. Okay, wait a minute. So he's telling me, you know, don't have any, it's telling me I have a, a high sexual ethic, telling me not to be careful how I speak about those things. But then he says, Thanksgiving. Well, how does this work? Well, Thanksgiving 
as kind of the opposite of immorality and vulgarity actually makes a lot of sense when you just kind of get beneath the surface here. Um, Thanksgiving is the cure for some of this foolishness, but but if you look down underneath, sexual immorality or sexual promiscuity is actually the avoidance of intimacy. It essentially says, I want your body, but I don't want to selflessly give of myself to you and promise myself exclusively to you for the rest of my life. I don't value you that much. I don't want that level of intimacy. So so we can we can engage in some likeness of intimacy, but I really don't want to give you fully of myself, right? It's avoiding intimacy. But then when you go to vulgarity, it's kind of the same thing. Vulgarity and cynicism and filthiness of talk, it's actually an avoidance of intimacy as well, right? Like when you can make a joke, when you can get people to laugh, or when you can include sexual innuendo, it's it's saying, I want to appear witty and smart, but it's actually avoiding genuine, authentic conversation. And actually the, the, the sexual banter and coarse jesting and those types of things is actually rooted in cynicism. And cynicism actually avoids intimacy of conversation. Like you can make fun of other people. It, it's hiding and guarding your heart. It's actually avoiding hope. It's saying, oh, nothing good will happen. I don't want to hope, so I'm going to make fun of things. I'm going to be cynical. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make light of maybe potentially some serious things and it really avoids vulnerability and, and and coarseness and vulgarity actually avoids being truly vulnerable but when you're thankful when you're actually genuinely thankful with another human being like you're thankful for them or you're thankful for an experience in your life you're thankful for a person in your life you're thankful for something that happened. What you're actually doing is you're being vulnerable in that moment when you express thankfulness. It's actually expressing hope. It's hope-filled. It's self-sacrificing. It's saying, I am excited about this thing and I want you to know about it. It's self-giving and it's intimate. And so Thanksgiving is truly a cure for vulgarity. Thanksgiving is actually a cure for immorality because when we're thankful for what we have, we're not craving what we don't have. So we see in this first point of, of Paul, this idea of walking in love, which means rejecting immorality, rejecting vulgarity, and then embracing a lifestyle of thanksgiving, where thanksgiving determines your speech and then determines your actions as well, that engages with true intimacy, true community with the people around you. Next, that's the first walk. The second walk in this idea of these uncompromising standards for the Christian life is to walk in love and walk in light. Excuse me, it's to walk in light. It's the second one. And it's living a life of radical honesty. And this verse is 8 through 14, so let's read it in Ephesians 5. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part none fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we're to walk in love. Then he says, walk in light. And he compares, he has this beautiful couple of verses comparing light and darkness. But one of the first things, there's a couple of 
few things I want to highlight here in this idea of uncompromising standards is that um, we were darkness and now you are light. It's not that we were surrounded by darkness and now we're surrounded by light, although he does touch on that later. But what he's saying, the very onset of introducing this idea of walking in the light is that actually our insides were dark. Our insides experienced darkness. We embodied darkness, and now we have the opportunity to embody light. And so living as darkness, he's, he uses the words unfruitful and shameful and secret, right? And this idea of secret sins, and, and it really kind of ties in with the previous text about um, sexual immorality and vulgarity, is that sin thrives in the dark, and shame grows in the dark. And our natural inclination when we sin and deviate from God's design and plan for our life is to hide it. And the darkness of our sins is actually the darkness that's within us. It's bringing darkness inside of us. It's actually changing who we are. But then living as light as opposed to living in as darkness, he, he uses the words fruitful and goodness and truth and righteousness. You see, sin is killed in the light. It, it's exposed. He even uses that word here, exposure. And so what we see is that repentance and faith is actually brings our brokenness out. It actually brings it to the surface. We can talk about it. And, and then what happens is very interesting. It's that light does not just expose, light transforms. If light just exposed, then it would say we were surrounded by darkness, okay? Now we're going to be surrounded by light. But no, it says here that we were darkness, and now we are light. And then we actually have the capacity to reveal works of darkness around us. So we've not just been given light around us, but we have actually been changed to be a carrier of light, to be a person that walks as a light to the dark places to the darkness of the world around us, then exposing those deeds of darkness. So we see that Christ has shone on us and then makes us shimmering lights that then can expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And so that means that light does not just expose, light also transforms us. And so we can pull this back. This is part of these uncompromising standards that says in order to truly walk in the light, we have to expose our own brokenness and sin. And then we become an exposure to the brokenness and the sin of those, those around us. And that can be quite uncomfortable sometimes. It's not a good life. Sometimes people can not like being around you because they know what they're doing is kind of opposing God's rule and law, especially for the Christian and so this could be actually a really challenging way to live, to walk in the light. But it's living a life of a radical honesty. That's part of these uncompromising standards. And finally, the last five verses here of Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, uh, verses 15 to 20 is walking in wisdom. This is living a Christ-centered life. Look with me at verses 15 to 20. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody 
to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here the third invitation of walking in these uncompromising standards is to walk in wisdom. And then he goes through and he says there's three kind of not this but that. Walking not as unwise but as wise. And he says making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And and essentially what he's saying is, is that walking in wisdom uses the precious time you have on earth well. Where he's, Paul's inviting us to live for ultimate delight, true joy, the benefit of others, because we have such a short time on this earth and living unwisely will ultimately not benefit us or others or our relationship with God and the advancement of his kingdom. So he's essentially kind of, the, that's the topic sentence for this section, is not unwise but wise. But then he says, not foolish, but understanding. And this is so opposed to the to the ways that he was talking about before, you know, when you're, when you're living in, in with immorality or living in vulgarity, struggling with being in the darkness, there's, there's a foolishness there, right? There's a foolish way of living that is care, careless. It's wasteful. And what he's calling you to do is to be careful and informed in what you say and do the actions that you take, the, the ways that you talk, the ways that you joke, the, the people that you're with, the, the situations that you put yourself in, who you put yourself alone with, who you go behind closed doors with. What he's saying is be careful. Don't be foolish, but understand. Think deeply about what you say and do. Part of the uncompromising standards for the Christian, not foolish, but understanding. And finally, he says, not drunk, but filled with the Spirit. Now, at first, this might seem like, okay, he's talking about generalities, wisdom and foolishness. Why does he go to something so specific? Talking about drunkenness. What, is he, what does he mean by this? Seems a little coming out of left field. But, but we have to go underneath the idea, look at what they were dealing with in the first century, and we see that this completely marries with wisdom and carefulness, right? And with not being unwise and not being foolish. Because... Back then, they worshipped all these different gods. And especially in Ephesus, they worshipped the god Dionysus, right? It was this Greek god, Dionysus, the god of wine and the god of debauchery, right? And what they would do is they'd have these crazy parties where they would literally plan out how to get drunk, plan out how to overeat. It would be women would come in dancing and presenting their bodies grossly for the view of these gross men who would comment and joke about them. And, and sometimes they would be prostitutes and they would buy their time. Um, there would be immorality. There'd be coarseness, all of what we've been talking about so far, all of this would happen kind of as a result of uh, as surrounding the idea of drinking. And so lowering the inhibitions and then exercising those base emotions and, and actually walking in foolishness. So this was very culturally accepted. And what Paul is saying here is comparing being drunk and being filled, drunk with wine, filled with spirit, is, 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 is calling us not to be filled with any substance that would hinder the full expression of God's spirit in your life. Like we do have God's spirit residing within us, sealing us for the day of redemption. We looked at this in chapter one of Ephesians um, last year. 
so so it's not like the Holy Spirit gets taken away, but but our experience of the Holy Spirit's leading can be diminished or increased based on our walking in obedience. So we can we can feel the Holy Spirit's guidance, we can express ourselves well, we can walk carefully, we can practice wisdom, or like a muscle, we can lose the function. Um, we can not be freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. We can, in fact, be filled with other things. And and really what he's saying underneath of this idea of being drunk versus being filled with the Spirit, what he's saying is, is don't live like the pagans. Live like saints. Reject the cultural pull towards this immorality, towards this vulgarity, towards living in the darkness, towards unwisdom, towards foolishness, and towards being drunk and, and, and actually keep your guard up. Live like a saint. Think wisely and carefully and logically about the things that you do. Be countercultural. Don't follow Dionysus, but instead follow Christ. That's what he's saying. And so it fits beautifully in with this idea of wisdom and carefulness, which is saying don't let anything, don't ingest anything within you and don't let the culture encourage you to ingest anything, take part in anything that would pull you away towards not being fully controlled, freshly filled by the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us how to do this. He's then speaking to one another, singing and making music. And again, the word giving thanks. Now, what's so interesting is that this is a, a sanctified version of what they would do at these drunken parties and orgies to the god Dionysus. Of course, there would be speaking and talking. There would almost always be a topic of conversation that they would bring up and try to make jokes about and talk about, be witty about. And so, of course, they would be talking to one another at these parties. They would be singing. There would be music. Um, And, of course, there would be jests and coarse joking and all these other things. And so... What he's saying is, is that the inclination towards these things is good. There's a way to do them filled with the Holy Spirit, to speak one to one another, to speak as Christians, to be in community, to sing and make music. This is corporate worship through music. This is then giving thanks, again, repeating that idea of rejecting cynicism, rejecting vulgarity, rejecting immorality, and actually giving thanks and appreciation for who we are in Christ. So pulling back and looking at the uncompromising standards of these 20 verses, it's clear. He tells us to walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom. Walking in love. This is a call towards self-sacrificing versus self-indulgent idolatry. Self-sacrifice. Next, he says, walk in the light. This is exposing deeds of darkness, being filled with with the light of God, and then transformed into being a light to the people around you. And then finally, walking in wisdom. This is rejecting foolishness and drunkenness and living a countercultural life of thankfulness. Now, I said uh, earlier, I said, is Christianity just a list of do's and don'ts? And you're like, well, Josh, you just gave me 20 verse list of things I should do and shouldn't do. How can we postulate that Christianity is not just a list of do's and don'ts if we just looked at this? Well, this is where we get to moving towards the second point. But this idea of of Christianity, what is unique about Christianity in this? Because other religions have these sexual ethics as well. What is unique about Christianity? See, Christianity has something that no 
other religion has. Following Jesus has something that no other religious structure ever has, and it's power. And it's this idea of immeasurable power. That's what leads us to how do we process and think through how to live with these uncompromising standards. We have to do it through immeasurable power. And power is a theme in the book of Ephesians. As I was reading this, actually sitting in my office as I am right now, I was reading the book of Ephesians over and over again this week in preparation for this message. This is my first sermon back in Ephesians since last year. Pastor Derek's been steadily walking us through Ephesians the past couple of weeks, but this is my first time jumping back in. So I was reading the book and it's just the idea of power came up over and over and over again. Here's just a few examples, you know, uh, Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. See in Ephesians 2, 5, he's made us alive with Christ. Like, that's a measurable power to resurrect our hearts from the dead. Um, Ephesians 3, he says, I'm praying that the Father may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit at work in your inner being. And then finally in Ephesians 3.20, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So he's saying, I'm writing this to you. At the beginning, he says, I'm writing this to you that you know his power. He wants us to know it that then we see his power is actually working to make us alive. Then he's praying that God would strengthen us with his power, right? But then we see in Ephesians 3.20, he answers that prayer, that he has a power at work within us. So there's actually like the answer to the prayer is right there in the same chapter. He says, I pray that that you'll be strengthened with power. And then a couple of verses later, he says, that, that this is according, he's going to do all these things. He's going to work through us according to his power at work within us. This is significant because Christianity, is Christianity just a list of do's and don'ts? Well, we see here that no, it's not because it's not our power, that we actually have an external power source in our lives, equipping us, empowering us, to live these uncompromising standards with immeasurable power. And Ephesians 2.10 reveals to us where this power is being directed in our lives. It says, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's that word walk again. See, my friends, we were created for perfection, wholeness. We were created meeting every standard of God. We didn't even understand what the standards were. The Bible says that the tree that Eve ate of was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the discernment, the experience of good and evil that that Eve was tempted to take the bite of. But you see, they didn't need to know good and evil. Everything was good. There was not even a need for the comparison. There was not even a standard to meet because we were already meeting the standard. That's what we didn't even think about. But then unfortunately, sin, brokenness entered into the world at the fall. And yet, as God saves us, we saw that this earlier in Ephesians 2, he saves us. He makes us alive. And we still have good works. 
that God has prepared for us to do. And we see throughout the narrative of Ephesians that he's empowering us towards these good works. He's working. He's preparing for us a life of obedience and faith. So God that has prepared these works before him, he then gives us immeasurable power. So that you're like, you can be saying, okay, Josh, that sounds great. But what in the world does that mean? What makes Christianity different? And I was even looking this up today, this idea of Buddhism, right? Buddhism has power. Uh, I was reading on their main website that Buddha himself said, the purpose of Buddhism is to cease from all sin, to get virtue and to purify the heart. And how do we do that? Right meditation uncovers the Buddha in all of us. You go to Hinduism, this idea of karma. And, and really on their website, they say that the reincarnation is meant to balance the karma bank account enough to achieve their version of nirvana, their version of heaven, of elation above all desire in the world. They call that moksha. So there is power in other religions. What makes this different? And I think we also have to be challenged to consider, too, uh, it doesn't feel like I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a pastor, I'm preaching a sermon to you right now. But it doesn't feel like I have immeasurable power. It doesn't feel like I have that to conquer my sin, to fight against it, to do good works. Do you feel that way? I know I don't. It's the freshly opened pack of Samoa Girl Scout cookies sitting right on the counter. How can you stop? Is Christianity just another version, a list of do's and don'ts where we have to fight for the power that we need? And this is where we get to our third point, this idea of inexpressible joy. We have to look closely to see the source of power and how we access that in our lives. So we talked about walking in love, right? Well, look at what verse two says. We walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. We walk in the light. Now you are light in the Lord. Since we're to walk wisely in Ephesians 1, going back a couple of chapters, it says, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the knowledge of him. How is, how is this different than just working hard and trying to get power within ourselves? My friends, the difference with Christianity is this, that the power that we receive is given, not earned. It is not earned through meditation. It is not earned through karma. It is not earned through reincarnation. It is not earned through good works. It is not earned through good church attendance. It is not earned through tithing. The power we receive is given to us freely. And it's given through God giving us himself. So is Christianity a list of do's and don'ts? No, it's not. It's actually a list of failures that Jesus has ultimately overcome in our lives as he gives us himself, as he gives us himself. So just one simple way that we see this, that we walk in love. So how do we walk in love? Let's just even look at the first one, which is the title of our message. How do we walk in love? and reject succumbing to these sexual impulses? How do we pursue true self-sacrificial love? This is where joy comes into play because this is how we do it. There's no other religion in the world that does this. There's other religions that say you access power through meditation or you access power through reincarnation of karma or hard work. 
or confessing your sins enough, saying enough prayers. No. God gives us himself. And as he gives us himself, we experience the power of Christ within us. So how do we, how does this translate into walking in love? Well, here's the deal. This is what the gospel says, that Jesus rejected every self-preservation impulse that he had on the cross. That as he entered into his torment, he, he lost the love of God. He experienced the full wrath of God, the full abandonment of the love of God in our place on the cross. He experienced immense suffering. And yet he was completely faithful and true and exercised the greatest gift of self-sacrificial love in human history. And so now walking underneath his sexual ethic is easy when we see how much he loves us and how much he sacrificed for us. And if he gives us of himself, how will he not also with Jesus give us all things? And so everything he gives us, even these boundaries and sexual ethics are for our good. So it actually benefits us to practice this sexual ethic. And we see how far we went to sacrifice for his, for his own people. We see how far he went to sacrifice, rejecting his own wants, rejecting his own desires. And so that means that we can trust a self giving God, and thus we can have a self-giving love that easily walks in this new sexual ethic. Why? Because we know he's loved. He loves us. We know that he rejected every impulse of selfishness on the cross. And as you believe the truth that Jesus was our substitute on the cross, that he took our place that he actually experienced the wrath of God so we can experience the love of God, that he was actually plunged into darkness so that we could experience the full light of the presence of God as, 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 he, was, as he decayed for three days, as he went into the belly of the earth for three days, as he went and died for us so that we could experience the wisdom of God's mystery revealed to us. As we experience this, as we believe this deeply, then there's no greater joy for us than to follow Jesus. There's a greater joy waiting for you than the immediate sexual fulfillment of sexual desires, the immediate fulfillment of vulgarity. Um, there's, There's a greater joy than hiding sin, which makes us miserable, by the way, walking in shame, which makes us miserable. There's a a greater joy waiting for us than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of foolishness. There's a deeper joy of union with Christ and receiving his love for us, walking with him, that then drives us towards him. It then motivates us to receive his power, which then allows us to meet these uncompromising standards because we realize it's already been met in Christ and these standards are actually truly for our good. Now, if you go back to Genesis 2, in perfection, it would say in the cool of the day, every day, God would come into the garden and meet with Adam and Eve. And he would spend time with them. He would talk with them as a man talks with his friend. And we see the reintroduction of walking with God as we walk in love 
And as, as we walk in the light and as we walk in wisdom, it's an invitation to walk with God again. It's an invitation to become more like him again. You see, we get to walk with him again. We get to spend time with him. John 15 calls this abiding or remaining or being unified with him. And what this does, walking with him, not just fulfilling the list of rules, but walking with God again, fulfills the deepest desires of our hearts. It heals us. It restores us. It makes us a new person again. It fills us with light. It transforms us. Walking with God, then, is the goal of Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, not obedience. The deeper joy is we get God back. First Peter 1 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though do you, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So in what we think are Girl Scout cookies in front of us are actually dry, stale saltines that won't satisfy us and that only make us more thirsty and hungry and ruin the meal. But then I think about this. Have you ever baked cookies with someone that loves you? Have you ever spent time in the kitchen with someone that loves you? You have fresh ingredients, you mix it, you bake it. There's an anticipation when you preheat the oven and you, and you put the dough on the cookie sheet and you're working with someone that you love and you care about and you're spending time with and you smell the fresh cookies filling the kitchen with this beautiful smell and you taste test it and you talk about the recipe and maybe you tweak it or you say, oh, we finally got it done, Pat. See, what happens is when you cook and bake cookies with someone that you love, it's not really about baking cookies anymore, is it? It's about love. It's about delight. It's about closeness. It's about intimacy. And then you don't get the prepackaged saltines, but you get fresh love. And it's available to you and me as we join God in his work. And like a recipe, boundaries are here for us to thrive. You would never get a recipe and say, oh, there calls for for an egg. Oh, you know what? I just feel like this recipe needs 10 eggs. Your your meal's going to be ruined. You see, the boundaries are given to us for us to thrive and experience inexpressible joy. Why? Because we're in the kitchen with dad baking with dad again. We're walking with him in the cool of the day. We're living as he is inviting us to live, which is really becoming like him. And so meeting the uncompromising standards is not the goal. Walking with our father, spending time with him, enjoying him with love, enjoying him with light, enjoying him with wisdom. That is ultimately the goal And then the boundaries are simply here for us to thrive and make some good cookies that we can enjoy together. So if you're watching or listening to this and you look at the course of your life and you say, you know what, there hasn't been a time where I've started walking with God again. Then I'd like to invite you to do that right now today. 
repent and believe. Actually say, I am going to give my life to God. He's going to be Lord and King and master over my life. And then he's going to, I'm going to come into his family. I'm going to see him as my dad. And we're going to walk together again. And then you begin a journey, a life of walking with God, which means looking more like him, walking in holiness, knowing that the uncompromising standards have already been met at the cross of Christ as our substitute. And he is mediating his power to us to meet these uncompromising standards. Because there's a greater joy waiting for us when we do. Because we get God again. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, then I want you to believe that Jesus operated in such self-sacrificial love that has crossed oceans of time to come to you today. And I want you to let that belief in the love of God for you lead you to the joy of spending time with him, the joy of walking with him so that these unfruitful deeds of darkness don't appeal to you anymore. The, the, the dry saltines on the counter that are old and stale don't appeal to you anymore because you have got cookies that you've been baking with dad that are going to be so good when they come out of the oven. And the dry saltines simply distract you from the ultimate true source of joy, which is nothing less than walking with your father again. This is what it means to walk in love. It means to come back walking with a father that loves you, baking cookies in the kitchen, spending time with him, having appropriate boundaries so that you can thrive experiencing a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory, motivated by the power of God in you to see that the uncompromising standards have already been met in Christ and thus we can meet them. Thank you so much for listening and have a good week. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.